Hi, Insiders! It's Haley, back for a new episode of Disney Movie Insiders Presents. We're taking an insider's look at the upcoming Searchlight film, Chevalier. Chevalier is inspired by the incredible story of composer Joseph Bologna, Chevalier de Saint-Georges. The illegitimate son of an African slave and a French plantation owner, Bologna rises to improbable heights in French society as a celebrated violinist composer and fencer, complete with an ill-fated love affair and a falling out with Marie Antoinette herself and her court. As a huge lover of French history, I really enjoyed getting to experience another side of the days leading up to the French Revolution with Joseph's story. The fact that Joseph's talents and compositions were on par with the likes of Mozart, but his works were mostly destroyed throughout the war, this film shines a light on a part of history that many didn't know existed. Joining us to talk about bringing this story to life is the film's director, Stephen Williams. Welcome, Stephen. Uh-huh. Good afternoon, and thank you for taking the time. Truly much appreciated. Awesome. Well, I would love to kick off just learning a little bit more about yourself. And, you know, something that our listeners may not know is that you've been in the Disney family for a long time. Um, I found out that you worked on Lost for many an episode, which is one of my all-time favorite TV shows. So um, welcome back to the Disney family. Uh, good to be back. Good to be back. Yes, Lost was uh, was my, probably my introduction to um, to the Disney family and uh, couldn't have asked for a better one. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. And tell us a little bit more about your journey. So from what I understand, this is your your first feature film. Did you work mostly in television before that? I saw you did a little bit of writing and directing. Tell us a little about your path. Uh, yeah, I mean, I started uh, in I started working as a director in Toronto, actually. Um, uh, I'm, you know, my biography is complicated. Um, I was born in Jamaica, but went to high school and university in England, then moved to Toronto for a little bit before, uh, going to Hawaii to do Lost and then eventually living in LA since 2010. But while I was in Toronto, I started directing and I did, you know, MOWs and TV shows and, um, a, a kind of indie feature there. And then um, started commuting between Toronto and LA, working oh, on, on TV shows, and um, and very quickly um, in in you know in in that a, a great twist of fortune, uh, good fortune, my good fortune, uh, wound up uh, on Lost. So very cool. Well, looking at Chevalier, um, what kind of draws you into period piece? Is that something that you typically look for? Was there something particularly special about this script that drew you in? Yeah, I I mean two things really. The first was uh when I got sent the script, I first of all the script is was an exceedingly well-written piece of work. It was written by uh Stephanie Robinson who's a a writer on shows like What We Do in the Shadows and Atlanta. Um and it was a piece about somebody that I had never heard of before and I was surprised that I had never heard of Joseph Bologna aka Chevalier. Right. Uh, so that, you know, immediately started me uh, kind of going down um, a wormhole of research, trying to figure out who this person was and why I'd never heard of, of him. And then just on a personal level, uh, the trajectory of his life seemed very similar and recognizable to me because he's from Guadeloupe, an island in the Caribbean. I'm from Jamaica, an island in the Caribbean. We both made our way to Europe and then, you know, uh, have had you know tried our utmost to exert a sense of ambition and excellence uh-huh. on our chosen career paths and and so there were many beats of of his life story that 
felt familiar to me and that I really deeply connected with. So as soon as I read the script and became aware of this character, this historical figure that I'd never heard of before, uh, I, I knew I, I wanted to do, I wanted to tell this story. No, it's so awesome. When I was doing research as well, I'm a huge history nerd, especially of like English and French, like around that time. So I was like, what the heck? Like, how have I never heard of this guy? Like, this is so cool. So I was geeking out the entire time watching the film just because I was like, I can't believe like, this is so different from everything that we've, we've been taught, what we've learned before. It's like so cool. And I'm like, you know, for, from the documentation side, what did you guys look through any specific kinds of like archives or how was the, how did that process go? Just trying to find what there is left about this guy. So the curious thing about, uh, Chevalier's life is number one, he was such an accomplished artist, fencer, uh, equestrian, marksman, violinist. He was a virtuosic right. violinist. He was a composer of op- concertos and opera. I mean, he was just this multifaceted person. In fact, the American president, you know, John Adams once described him as the most accomplished man in all of Europe. No way. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, because of uh, a specific quirk of history, which is after the French Revolution, uh, that started round about 1789. Napoleon eventually came to power in 1802. And as part of his effort to reassert uh, the slave trade, which had been uh, abolished pursuant to the success of the French Revolution and the demise of the French monarchy, Napoleon reinstated, has the dubious distinction of being in charge of the only European power to reinstate slavery after it had been abolished. And as part of that, he set about uh, erasing much of Joseph's, uh, Joseph Bologna, later known as Chevalier, uh, much of his um, life story and much of his work. And so there's actually very little uh, that's been written about Joseph and that um, research was became quite arduous and challenging and tricky because there's just mm-hmm. not that much that's known about him. Right. Oh, it's so crazy. It's so crazy to me that like people that can exist and are so genius, like can just basically be wiped off the map just from documentation alone. It's, right. It's yeah. so heartbreaking. Totally. I was like, I was like livid coming out of the film just that like I wanted to know more about him. Totally. I mean, it was fascinating because <laughs> he was like, you know, in many ways, he was like the prince or the Jimi Hendrix of his time, you know, right. and a peer of of Mozart's. And uh, obviously, we know lots about Mozart and very little about Chevalier. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, our movie can't, you know, his, I, as I said, you know, his life is so rich, it, it, it could fill, you know, a half a dozen movies. So we had to be really kind of judicious in terms of what part of Joseph's life story we were going to tell and what right. part was really kind of essential to to us. Um, but uh, I sincerely hope that, you know, people like yourself who are, who are just encountering Joseph for the first time will, you know, um, do, you know, look further into into other aspects of his life that we weren't able to put into fit into our movie, but that are just equally fascinating about this, this person and the the time period in which he lived. Agree. And I, I can't wait for my friends to watch the film and be able to talk about it too, just because it's so awesome. And, and you mentioned Mozart, which is one of my next questions, because this movie starts with like such a big bang with this, like, epic musical battle between Joseph and Mozart. And you're just like, so immediately immersed in the story. Like, what the heck? Like, who is this guy? And I just was curious, like, how did you come to decide that, like, this is how we're starting the film? 
Well, it, that scene was what, like the first that that scene existed in the screenplay when I got it. Okay. And, you know, it's uh, our our film is um, a mashup between imagined scenes and and real aspects and events of, of Joseph's life. And, you know, we, we took as our guiding principle this notion that, you know, was expounded by the great British playwright Tom Stoppard, who said, and I sincerely hope I'm not going to mangle this quote, but <laughs> um, but hopefully the, the meaning of it and its intent will still um, endure and be clear. He said, facts are one thing, but the truth is something else entirely and is the product mm. of the imagination. And so we tried to find a, a way into our story that would really give the viewer the sense of the dynamism and the dynamic relationship that existed between Mozart and Chevalier. They shared an apartment building for about three months uh, in Paris. They didn't really know each other, but they lived on different floors. But there was definite mus musicologists who are way more learned than I am uh, in the in the vocabulary of classical music have been able to discern some hints of cross pollination flowing in the direction of Joseph's music, Chevalier's music to Mozart. Wow. And uh, and so we thought, ah, OK, that's a cool way to kind of open the movie. And then because, as I think I mentioned before, for us, Joseph was like, you know, this rock star of his time, he was like Prince or Jimi Hendrix. And there is, you know, this anecdote um, that apparently in the 60s, when Eric Clapton was part of a band called Cream, mm -hmm. uh, Hendrix was in the audience and asked to be invited on stage to play with Clapton. And Clapton agreed. And Hendrix apparently got on stage and shredded and like, no way. like played Clapton off the stage. And Clapton <gasps> went backstage and said to, you know, his his uh his you know his colleagues who the hell is that guy and <laughs> that seemed like a great way to kind of uh get at the truth and the essence of what joseph's position was in the in the in the sphere of, of classical music at the time in paris even though it didn't actually occur <laughs> It's so, so true. And that's actually like something that I was uh, thinking as well, that like the film is so beautifully immersed in what is it? 18th century France. Yeah. But, 18th century, uh, yeah. Yeah, but it feels so modern. Like you're watching it and like some of the mannerisms just as like, oh, this could have just as easily felt like it was happening today. Like I didn't feel like I was watching a dated like dated film, you yeah. know, it was, it feels yeah. so modern. The story is so, I don't know, so much like resonates even today. So I, I love that. And I love like the fun entangling storytelling, right? It's like just facts and then weaving in what could have been, which is so cool. Totally. I mean, we didn't, we were, Stephanie and I were very uh, clear with each other at the beginning that we didn't want to do a Wikipedia page. That's why Wikipedia right. exists, you know, hopefully <laughs> exactly. the movie piques your interest enough. And if you want to learn more, you can, you know, go on a deep dive yourself on the internet. Um, but uh, we, one of the things that was so clear from the beginning is, you know, I'm so gratified to hear you share that sense of, uh, of the contemporary um, having seen the movie, because it, one of the other things that was just so kind of captivating about Joseph's story is that, you know, yeah, mid to late 1700s, but if you squinted and you, you know, <laughs> ignored the wigs and the period costumes so much of the dynamics and the and, and and the character relationships and the themes felt contemporary felt of now and uh you know the french have this great 
expression, which I will also endeavor not to mangle, um, <laughs> that goes something along the lines of plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose, which means the more things change, the more they stay the same. And mm. that was just so, that that just felt so clear to me. The more I learned about Joseph's life, I was like, so many of the challenges that he encountered and other people, other characters in the story encountered um, could really be happening today. And so we wanted to kind of uh, tonally find uh, the right balance between keeping one, honoring the time period in right. which the story and the, the events of the story took place, but still kind of nod to a more kind of modern and contemporary feel. We didn't want to do a masterpiece theater piece. <laughs> of course, right, exactly. But, you know, it, I, it's funny because um, my coworker and I, we were joking, like, after we saw the film, we're like, okay, well, like, what does this movie have? And we're like, okay, uh, history, history lovers, check. Like, hits movie fans, check. Like, there's so much family, um, friendship, self-discovery, like, anything that you could ask for, like, this film has. Like, what do you like? Like, this, this guy had had it all, which is so, so amazing. Um, and one thing that I love about him is, and one of my first thoughts was like, damn, this guy is so good on the violin. Uh, like how, what, what went into Kelvin's, uh, you know, man. journey of learning how to play? Cause that he looked like he's been playing since he was three years old. Oh, man, I, Kelvin Harrison Jr. Was the only person for this role and he worked so hard. I mean, I, I wish there were a more glamorous response to the question, <laughs> how did he go about portraying so effectively this virtuosic violinist? But the truth is, it's just hard work, focus, discipline, commitment. I mean, he worked for months with, you know, some of the great violinists of our time. And right. uh, all the violin bowing that you see in the movie is Kelvin. There's no stunt double. There's no trickery. There's just, it's just Kelvin and you know, the product of his incredible dedication to bringing the life of Chevalier to the screen. Wow, that is absolutely incredible. And I'm just like, I feel so small just even thinking about that because, wow, oh, that, it's yeah. incredible, the dedication. Yeah, uh, and wow. the same is true of the fencing that, you know, the fencing sequence in the, in, in the film is all Kelvin as well. He had to study... Fencing. Wow. The fencing amazing. was so cool. We didn't even touch on the fencing yet. Like that was amazing. I was like, wait, what? He's also like a master fencer too. Yeah. Like this guy is crazy. I mean, yeah. he wow. was one of the greatest fencer, you know, in, in all of Europe when, you know, when he was at his peak. Did he ever sleep? Like, what, like, what is this guy doing? Come on. Like, <laughs> that's wow, a great that's... question. That's a great question. <laughs> Apparently he had a, a you know, he had a, a great affinity for nightlife and for romance as well. So, I, I mean, <laughs> oh, really, yes. I don't know how he stretched 24 <laughs> hours. But, I mean, that's one of the incredible things about him, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, as the, you know, unfortunately, you know, despite all of his many attributes, you know, he died at 53, alone, unmarried, childless, and uh, oh. as a, in large part as a result of of the you know, the, the tenor of the times that he grew up in. Right. I know. I'm like, I don't want to spoil that too much for our listeners if they haven't seen that, but that was one of the biggest pieces of history. I hope a historical fact that I had no idea of in just yeah. in terms of marriage of that time. So yeah, just a little intrigue for, for everyone. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that was heart heartbreaking, heartbreaking to hear. Yeah. Ugh. One thing that I was really curious about as a yeah. huge history buff, as I mentioned before, is like, 
you know, there's so many movies about like Marie Antoinette, right? And she's just supposed to be this big, lavish, you know, let them eat cake type of person. But what I loved about this film is that she felt so grounded. Like I felt like watching her, I was like, oh no, this is, this is a real queen. And you can see the denial and you can see where she is. I don't know if it's oblivion or if it's chosen oblivion, but you, you can see the places in, in the film where she's acting the way that she's portrayed throughout history, but in such a grounded way that I personally really appreciated. And I was just curious, like, how do you go about casting for these roles of people that everybody is so well known? It's such a great question. I mean, arguably the person who had the most thankless task in the entire cast was Lucy Boynton for exactly the reason that you have articulated, which is that Marie Antoinette has been depicted in so often and so frequently across all manner of media, right. you know, visually. And uh, and everyone thinks they have a, a, a very clear sense of who she was. And yet the events that, you know, we show in the movie are true. So she and Joseph were really, really close. In fact, there were rumors that, you know, that unsubstantiated, which, which is why they don't exist in the movie, but that <laughs> they were even on occasion lovers. And, Mm -hmm. but they were, you know, Joseph taught her, uh, taught, gave her music lessons and Marie Antoinette and Joseph were super, super tight. And when the, you know, the opportunity for Joseph to potentially, you know, take over the the directorship of the Paris opera uh, came up and it looked as if it was going to go his way, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the events in the movie explain what happened with that, but you know, part of the story that we were telling, which is quite amazing, is the dissolution of this very close friendship between Joseph mm-hmm. and Queen. And to the point where Joseph has undergoes such an incredible transformation in inside himself, instead of in, in terms of his sense of self-awareness, that he ultimately bears arms against his friend, the right. Queen, in a revolutionary war. So uh Lucy Boynton had to like deal with had to put all of that all the antecedents all the prior incarnations of uh marie antoinette she had to be aware of them and yet carve her own lane and her own distinct lane and i just think she did an amazing job and I, i think you used exactly the right word it was so such a grounded kind of portrayal of the many different competing uh, pulls and tugs on her allegiance and her loyalty and yeah. what she really was about and the degree to which she had to strategize as a as a as a you know quasi political figure you know obviously you know that the 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 queen head of the royal family but um you know how was she going to navigate the changing times and the shifting political sands underneath her feet and right uh, lucy found a real way to 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 portray that she did a fabulous job i agree i agree and it's you said it so well just yeah like having to to watch what she had to deal with and you know wanting to fight for her friend but also like you know trying to keep political calmness like it just oh it felt it felt too real yeah felt too real <laughs> well going and also back the to, conditionality oh, of allyship right i mean she was right. an ally of joseph's but when things um when you know when thing when push came to shove question was you know where was she going to locate herself in that struggle mm. and um 
So it also, just in terms of the kind of contemporary tonality, it, you know, it, it sort of brought to mind questions of allyship in our current, you know, um, moment and, uh, and, and what the, the challenges are and the complexity of that could be. Right. Absolutely. Oh gosh. So much to unpack there. I'm like, okay, we're, we're getting really deep. Um, so going back to Joseph for a little bit, and I know yeah. you said that, um, you know, you found a lot of, a lot of similarities between yourself and him and your upbringing. If you were to meet Joseph, whether that be today or in the, you know, the 1700s, whichever time period you choose, like, what do you think that you would say to him? Like, what would you ask him or want to, want to know about? I, it's a toss up between, uh, asking him to teach me how to play a musical instrument because I don't play any, and I wish I did, um, or, uh, how to be, uh, good with, uh, a good marksman. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. I know. Please. Oh my gosh. Gun oh. violin, gun violin. I don't know. It's a toss up. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, I, I hope that I'm so excited for everybody to see this film and this is, it's so exciting. Um, and I can't wait for people to meet Joseph and hopefully do a deep dive into history. Like I did. Are you ready to take on the insider five? Yeah, let's do it. What is your earliest memory of being a Disney movie fan? Earliest memory of being a Disney fan. Uh, I got taken by my grandparents to see The Love Bug. Herbie, The oh, Love Bug. Oh, Herbie! <laughs> That's awesome! Yeah, fell in love with the car. Had the car. Had the, had, had the toy. Oh my gosh, amazing. Yeah. I love that. That's such a great yeah. answer. Number 53. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Okay, if you could ride one ride all day long at a Disney park, what would it be? That's easy. Uh, I would ride Matterhorn all day, every day at Disneyland. <laughs> That's a bold choice. Your back is going to be uh, <laughs> rough by the end of the yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, That's a, yeah, it's a full meal for sure. <laughs> I, love, I love that. It's a full meal. <laughs> okay, it's Disney karaoke night. What song are you singing? Oh, I had a debate about this very question with my daughter, who is 13, and um, much to her embarrassment, I'm going to have to go with, let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. I know I wasn't asked to perform, but anyway, song from Frozen. <laughs> I mean, that you were just like on par with Idina up there. So that was amazing <laughs> and such a great, I mean, it's classic, oh, right? Like, how Idina. could you not sing that doesn't. song? <laughs> All apologies to Idina. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. You're invited to a Disney-themed costume party. Who or what do you dress as? Mm. Um, uh, I'm going to stick with Frozen. Olaf. Nice. Oh, so good. Are you going to wear a real carrot, fake carrot? What's our what's our nose situation? <laughs> real carrot, just in case. I'm not digging the snacks at the party, and I <laughs> just a little backup, just a little additional backup. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All righty. Last question: Which Disney character has the best life advice, and what is it? I don't think you can top "Never Eat Yellow Snow." I just think that's uh. I just think that's good, solid counsel. That's, that's, I, you know what? That is important. the best you answer. You are what you eat, right? So, like, <laughs> be Whether it be carrots that. or yellow snow, you just oh. choose wisely. Yeah, yeah. There's a recurring theme here. Obviously, I'm starving. 
everything oh has to God. be food. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, thank you so much. This was amazing. It was so wonderful to meet you and to get to talk more about Chevalier. And we're so excited for our fans to see the film. Thank you so very much. Uh, truly appreciate it and hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Have a good one. You as well. That's our show. See Chevalier in theaters April 21st. So you don't miss any upcoming podcast episodes, subscribe and follow Disney Movie Insiders Presents. And while you're there, we'd love it if you gave us a rating and review. Visit DisneyMovieInsiders.com or our app and enter bonus code Antoinette. The code expires April 25th, 2023 at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. Membership is required. Limit one redemption per account. Visit DisneyMovieInsiders.com for terms and conditions. We'll catch you next time, insiders, with more Disney movie magic.